Okay, so Henry, are you ready to go on an adventure? Depends on what this adventure is. Yeah, it's going to be a great adventure. But I want you to listen to a piece of music first, and then we're going to talk about how fantastic this is. Okay. All right. So what did you think of it? I thought it was very interesting. It didn't start off very tonal. No, it didn't. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So from listening to this recording, what do you think I'm talking about? Uh, it beats me. Like, you can go anywhere with this. Film Noir. Film Noir? Yeah. What's that? Well, let me tell you. You don't have to sound so scripted. I'm, I'm not scripted though. I'm I'm here completely, completely uncharted. <laughs> okay, well, let me tell you about film. Film or? Yeah. When attraction turns to obsession, moral certainty to ambiguity, in the clear light of day to the murk of corrupted night, then. We are in the world of the Nor movie. Isn't that scripted? And oh. scripted. <laughs> it yeah. took me like ten minutes to think of something to say, so I was like, "Here we go." Uh, but that fits perfectly into the Nor movie. Have you ever heard of a Nor movie before? I have. I have not, but um, I, I definitely have heard that kind of um, music put to some film before. Yeah. So. Film Noir, it wasn't really introduced until about 1946 by a French critic named Nino Frank. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, who described this reoccurring theme from dark movies in the United States. Now, let's just focus on the word film Noir. You know what film is, right? Yeah, just, obviously. Yeah, but Noir... Noir Noir? Noir, yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? That's what I'm trying to I, say. I, the entire time I was like, film noir? What is he saying here? Or both. Film noir? Yeah, yeah. noir means black in French. Yeah, noir. Yeah. Uh, French. Black. That's right. And so really this black film is what she was trying to say. Mm -hmm. This film of darkness, of corruptness, of being, you know, lost in a busy world 
much a detective who was burnt out years ago and is just waiting till retirement. Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of music, you can see it in like the 40s style film where it's like raining in New York City. It's just like this depressive working class character walking through. Yeah, and this style of movie really centered on a cynical, a disillusioned male character who would be influenced by a femme fatale. You know what that is? A femme fatale? Yeah. A feminine character? Yeah. Uh, it's really pretty much a dangerous woman who will undoubtedly bring down a male character. But then, for some odd reason, she would also destroy herself. Mm -hmm. That's what these kinds of movies were, just pretty much self-destruction all around. Yeah. And have you ever heard of the movie The Naked City? I haven't. No. Well, it's an awesome movie and you have to check it out. It's where these two de detectives investigate the death of an attractive young woman. Mm -hmm. And this suicide, which turns into a murder, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details because I want our view viewers and you and everyone to watch it. Yeah. Because it's, it's an awesome movie. But it does take this idea of you know just darkness and bleakness mm -hmm. and horror that was really defined in these movies um, and I know there's a music podcast and mm -hmm. we'll get to music in a minute right now it's a film stays podcast <laughs> yeah seriously but that's how you're going to start to understand it and right now we're going to leave that film world a little bit and go into art yeah. for a bit so, visually, if you watch these movies, have you ever heard of German Expressionism? German Expressionism? I have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, what have you learned from it? Learned I, about it? I haven't learned much about it, but I know that, um, that as far as like different movements go, different countries have their diff had different takes on what, how they portrayed art and how they portrayed literature. Um, like, America had their Transcendentalism, Britain had Romanticism. Yeah. I, I assume Brit, uh, German Expressionism kind of is along that same category as a certain movement within the country. Yeah, and German Expressionism rejects Western conventions. It takes all these rules you learned about art and painting, straight lines, and just bends, distorts reality. And it was sort of a this way for Germans to explain the horrors of World War One, mm -hmm. And it was mostly centered in Germany. In the film industry, they would put it in the horror genre. Hmm. And Americans would eventually take this and adapt it to our own style of dark and bleak films. Yeah, that, that is interesting because German, Germany's art, like prior to this, was very western conventional as far as like their music their mm -hmm. paintings their novels yeah and it was their art that tried to push the boundaries and pretty much any form of art whether it's music writing uh painting is a, a way for us in my personal opinion a way for society to explain itself would, would you say like just based off of um the time we're talking about that German conventionalism, or not expressionism, expressionism. we're talking about Western conventions. It's okay. German expressionism um, can kind of relate to Picasso's take on distorted imagery. Yeah, and it's actually Picasso who 
pushed a little bit of German Expressionism as well. Oh, um, you can find some of his paintings kind of using that idea too. Um, and of course with music as well, you know, we know Mozart was in the classical era. Oh, definitely. Right? And, but you can, if you study music a lot, you can kind of see a little bit of classical ideas right before him. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's not, uh, music history isn't just chunks, it's like a continuous timeline of development. Yeah. As the Baroque era developed into classicalism and yeah, so the, the Romantic era. Yeah. And so what we have here is a, a group of movies and artists who are really trying to push this. And in America, we really didn't get into film noir until post-World War II, and maybe a bit after World War One as well. Well, that, that makes sense. If the if film noir didn't really develop in Germany until after um, World War One, as you were saying, when we go back to Europe in World War Two, we start experiencing how their art is influencing their culture, despite the fact that we're in the middle of a heated war. But then we can take that back to our country when we go home. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I love this kind of music too. So now I'm going to go shift it more toward music. Mm -hmm. And there are certain well-known composers that influence the sound, such as Miklos Rosa, um, Bernard Herrmann, and Elmore Bernstein. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of any of them? I've heard of Elmore Bernstein. Yeah. And... I don't know if you knew this, but interesting fact, Elmer Bernstein was really good friends with Guess Who. Guess Who? Guess Who. Guess no, who? I want you to guess who. Who am I uh, talking about? Not quite sure who. Bernstein. Bernstein? Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein, <laughs> that's right. Elmer Bernstein was good friends with Leonard Bernstein. They would call Elmer Bernstein the Bernstein of the West and Leonard Bernstein the Bernstein of the East. Elmer Bernstein's The Bernstein of the West? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So pretty interesting stuff. Um, but yeah, both excellent composers, by the way. But yeah, these composers really started to influence the sound, but it was this one single guy. His name was Adolf Deutsch. Adolf Deutsch? Yeah. Hmm. He was this composer whose music was actually influenced by Schoenberg. So when you said that the music at the beginning wasn't really tonal mm -hmm. at first, that could be one reason why, mm. you know. It created this, he created this formula that other composers would start to follow that was just dark in nature and was kind of, it was very orchestra-centered, right? It, jazz in film noir, really weren't best buds at first. Mm -hmm. They did use jazz a little bit. Yeah. But it was mostly to set the mood. Well, if, if you think about like or orchestrating music for a film, most directors and producers would want an orchestra rather than a jazz combo playing in their in their movie. Yeah, for sure. And I think today in today's film industry, film 
composition industry. It's a little easier because they do like those smaller setting groups. Yeah. Like if I were to compose film music and we get it record, they'd probably end up filming the brass first and then film the woodwinds, then the strings, then the percussion, and sort of just put it all together at the end. Don't really like record an entire ensemble per se. Yeah. And they do that somewhat nowadays, but it's really just in chunks with different sections. And I think today's world, it's a lot easier to set up a jazz combo and just go for it because it's more of the norm. Mm -hmm. Back then it really wasn't. But this idea of film noir, this black film and German expressionism, all would come together and would impact jazz very much because mm-hmm. you know jazz is pretty much you expressing yourself definitely right and we all have a dark side mm-hmm. right and some of these jazz musicians were on drugs <laughs> or right yeah and just being a musician you're not rich so odds are you're living poor and you are experiencing a lot of this Especially if you're talking about the jazz musicians at the time. The jazz musicians at the time were large percentage were African American. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the African American rights weren't great at all. No, Most didn't. were living in poverty, especially yeah. in these big cities. And so that really influenced their music, which is the, way, the conditions in which they lived. Yeah. Exactly. So, this black film really touched jazz musicians, such as Miles Davis, Count Basie, Duke Ellington. For example, Ellington's Anatomy of a Murder, Miles Davis's Asiencior Pior La Echefran. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> and excuse me if I can't pronounce much. Pardon your French. <laughs> you pardon my French a lot of the time. You know, I'm not French. I'm Mexican-Italian. Yeah, right? definitely. So, it's French. Right? <laughs> and I'm not in France, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, let's just leave it at that. Um, but, yeah. So this film noir really influenced jazz and in that way. It wasn't necessarily... They went and saw... Uh, film their own movie and was influenced by that. Mm-hmm. It was, we could call it music neuron, right? Or jazz neuron, right? Black jazz, black music. It was dark, it was cynical, you know? At times depressing. Um, I wouldn't really call it blues, but it was a little darker than blues. Oh yeah, blues is more of like a sad factor and um, Noir in black refers to like really dark and depressing. Yeah, like you just witnessed a murder. You yeah. Know? Like your wife was just murdered right in front of you. You're losing and, your job. And yeah, or worse. Yeah, worse. You know? So it, it really shaped jazz, um, at least in that aspect, you know, and with every musical genre, there are a million factors. Yeah. Right? This is one of them. But I do want to listen to another example. It's The Man with the Golden Arm by Elmer Bernstein. Just a quick snippet of it. 
And this one's really cool because what you heard at the beginning was from the movie Chinatown. And that one was really dark, right? This one uses a lot more jazz, whereas mm. the Chinatown one you was just more orchestra-based, as you can tell. Yeah, had a jazz feature in the trumpet, but it was really orchestral. Yeah, and that jazz feature, like I said before, early film noir used that to set the mood. Yeah. It wasn't really a part of it. This would kind of break away from that. So let's give this a quick listen to Another example, in my opinion, the literary world would be Washington Irvine's Rip Van Winkle or The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, that is definitely an example of dark literature. Yeah, and maybe even Edgar Allan Poe. Could you Uh, think of anything? I can think of many things by Edgar Allan Poe that would fit within the noir, like the cast of Amontillado, the Raven, of course, and... The Telltale Heart, definitely examples of dark literature. Yeah, and so 
like I said, noir. It's a feeling, not a genre. Definitely. Right? And this happened over different times. Washington Irvine came way before German Expressionism, came way before Miles Davis was around, uh-huh. but he captures it in this dark view. And even, I can even, you could talk about religion probably has it, um, you could look at the Puritans. The P- Puritans yeah. more had a more darker view on religion than anyone else at the time. Yeah. Um, they saw it as like, as much as they worship God, the devil was amongst them. And as much as they tried to stay away from that, like, their view on life is like, you can't escape the devil's influence. No, you can't. And that's dark. Yeah, it's very dark. Right? The black man from uh, Hawthorne's um, The Scarlet Letter. Yeah. Those those things were, were vicious. And that's just part of humanity. Mm-hmm. Right? And it goes way back. And maybe film noir that we're talking about right now has a lot to do with the world wars that went on and how that affected the world and civil rights could also be thrown in there. All of that is our modern noir. Yeah, the our modern version of noir was definitely influenced by current events and the struggles that happened within the 20th century. Yeah. And the, it correlates with our pop culture. Yeah, and it's kind of changed who we are as a society. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we do have this dark side to express itself. Yeah. Because that's just a part of life. And that kind of makes you appreciate all the good that happens, right? Like, if you play me... When I was studying film noir for this podcast, I would spend hours just listening to music and what I wanted to show and trying to get a feel for this and watching a bunch of noir movies. And I just felt terrible afterwards. So I go listen to, like, Aaron Copeland and Hope <laughs> Now, and I'm like, finally, a break. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It really made you appreciate the good you have in the world. Yeah. It's just like if you have too much of that good, you know, too many fanfares in your life, you're going to get tired of fanfares real fast. You're going to get kind of bored of just all this happiness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to take the good with the bad and the bad with the good. And I think that's what influenced a lot of, um, I, I'm going to say noir has a lot to do with naturalism and realism and that sense of uh, how art and literature correlate with music because what happened prior to this is everyone was writing about happy and lovely stuff and it was great but then there's artists and musicians and writers who are like the world isn't really like that there's really this struggle within all of our lives and so they started t- um, writing and painting about the dark, the ugly. Yeah, and it's humanity's urge to express themselves that creates true art in any form. And I think I'm going to use this as a time to transition to your topic in the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, definitely. My, my topic cor- correlates with this as my topic is the Harlem Renaissance. And this I was, I'm going to say this is one of the groundbreaking movements in the 20th century. It really influenced how pop culture is today with jazz and with art and with literature. This was kind of the time when we talk about early 20th century influence. Um, 
what what contributed to the Harlem Renaissance, of course, was the main factor was the Great Migration. All of a sudden, slavery is illegal in the United States, and these former slaves, they don't want to stay in the South where they were oppressed their entire life. They want to go North where there's the big cities, where there's culture from immigrants within the time we're coming from Europe, we're coming from all over the world, and they want to be a part of what was happening there. And a lot of African Americans who were literate and who were very influenced by art had a desire to go north and be a part of that. Yeah, and it's, I think their struggles that they had as slaves and children of slaves and being repressed mm -hmm. that attributed to them creating all this fantastic art. It, it, exactly, and that is what made um, I'm you gotta use the phrase black art stand out because at the t time, artists and writers that were commercialized were white, especially in the United States. It was a white dominant society, mm -hmm. and a white lot of male white male dominant society, and a lot of people who wanted to see art, wanted to listen to music, they wanted to listen to white music or see white art, and what made them stand out so much was their differences. Um, Frederick Douglass, oh. um, amazing American writer, published his work with the title um, The American Slave. Yes. He published that, that, yeah, to, to catch the eye. And because yeah. if people were to like look at it and be like, oh, it's written by a former slave, I don't want to read that. But then he writes that explicitly in the title, like, I'm a former slave, this is what I have to tell you. Mm -hmm. It catches the eye. Yeah. And that's what... And boy, did he have a lot to tell us. <laughs> so, another thing that also contributed to the Harlem Renaissance was the economic booms that happened after World War One and before World War One, And this started the era of the Roaring Twenties, which the Harlem Renaissance is a big part of. Mm -hmm. Um... But it was originally it originally wasn't called the Harlem Renaissance. What it was, was it called? It was called the New Negro Movement. Mm. And there's a few different writers. Um, Elaine Locke is a very famous African American writer, and their idea of the New Negro being this kind of new form of expression was a main part of the Harlem Renaissance at the time. The old Negro was the idea of the oppressed and how the white man broke them down, kept them in chains, and did all these awful things to them. And now the new Negro movement is the idea of how they can go from that to this new era of like art and literature and way of life for African Americans. And have you... This kind of reminds me of... Have you read Plato's Allegory of the Cave? Yes, I have. Yeah, and you know how it's about the guy who's locked him in chains in the cave. Yes, finally released in the world. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of that. These African Americans were chained up in their own quote-unquote uh, caves. Mm -hmm. Right? And then finally they're set free. Yeah. And what are they going to do now in this... In trying to tell the world this is what happened to us and on top of that this is why we matter exactly to the world. exactly um now the 
um, New Negro Movement, the Harlem Renaissance, it was essentially starting like right after World War One, and then went all the way up to the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. The Great Depression, the stock market crashing, really kind of ended the Roaring Twenties as we knew it. Mm -hmm. This it ended a lot of things. This extravagant lifestyle that people were like so excited about, this new way of living that was in the t Roaring Twenties, was ended when the economy went bankrupt. It was just awful. People were losing jobs. People stopped wanting to really, like, go out and party and listen to jazz because they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't afford to. They needed to find a job. Definitely, definitely. Um, however, like, this begs the question, like, during the Harlem Renaissance, why is it centered around Harlem? The, I would assume the musicians who came from there and the artists. Oh, definitely. Um, that was a part of it. But uh, what we have to understand is at the time, New York City was the place. Um, immigrants from Germany, from England, oh, from the Netherlands. They, were, they all stopped there. Yeah, Jewish immigrants, Asian immigrants, they were all coming to New York City because that was like one of the big economic capitals of our country at the time. And African Americans came there as well. However... There's too much division in our society at the time. People were being separated into factions based on their economic class and their race. And so, obviously, you would have Jewish immigrants in one part of the city, and that's where they would dominate. And then you'd have African Americans, and they would dominate in Harlem, part of New York City. Yeah. And so, since they were kind of put there based on who they were, and this is what they could, where they could afford to be, this was kind of their capital for this movement and where they chose to mainly express themselves. Of course, when we talk about the Harlem Renaissance, we're not only talking about Harlem. It happened in Chicago, it happened in other parts of New York, yeah. all over the East Coast as well. But Harlem was the capital where the African Americans kind of felt at home and where they kind of felt like they could display their art and their literature. And be themselves. And be themselves is was in Harlem. And that's why it's the Harlem Renaissance. That's very interesting. And could you name a few artists that we might know from the Harlem Renaissance? Oh, definitely. Um, there's a lot of po poets like Langston Hughes and McKay, but um, writers like Hurston and Locke and... We have some visual painters like William Johnson, but of course the famous jazzers at the time, and yes, that is a really good term for them. They're not yeah. they're not as much musicians as they are jazzers. Mm -hmm. um, the jazzers are kind of musicians. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but jazzers like Duke Ellington mm -hmm. and Louis Armstrong and Billie Holiday yeah. were some really significant... Um, artists and musicians at the time. Yeah. And without these incredible, incredible musicians that were brought from the Harlem Renaissance, we wouldn't have the type of jazz music we have today. Not we wouldn't have developed in such a way. Because these guys are pretty much the forerunners of all great jazzness Def that came after them. Definitely, definitely. Um, in fact, Glenn Miller is... A, a white American who was influenced by these African-American artists yeah, in the Roaring Twenties. millions of American jazz artists. 
yeah. white, African-American, Asian yeah. musicians were influenced by these. And I, even I know, when I'm seeing, when I was in jazz band in high school, we would have these recordings that the teacher would play. And every time he would play a Duke Ellington or Louis Armstrong, I mean, that music even today, and back then, it was like 2009, and I would just be sitting in my chair with my trombone just rocking <laughs> out. And, you know, it's years and years later, and I was a little 15-year-old rocking out to this amazing music because you could feel that energy and that passion through their music. Definitely. Um and the thing, what made jazz stand out most of all is, like, it was not conventional at the time. What we thought about, like, our modernist music and our Western classical ears, jazz was just a big jump from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see in the 30s and 40s more artists like Glenn Miller, um, white Americans starting to develop their own style of jazz. That is phenomenal because we can see that African-Americans for hundreds of years in our country were really oppressed, but now they're making a huge benefit to our society. And that these people, despite the fact that their civil rights are in no way equal to the white American, they are making a huge positive difference on our country. Yeah. And anyway, the jazz age is another term for the Harlem Renaissance and the New Negro Movement. It was the Jazz Age mostly focuses on this, and this new style of music reached its new height and popularity in during the Harlem Renaissance, and it was because of prohibition at the time. Alcohol is illegal, and what do you do to drink? You have to go to the mall. <laughs> yeah, these <laughs> underground speakeasies that in no is no way legal, but everyone was a part of it. Yeah, law, even the officers. Law enforcement, the politicians, they were all a part of it, and jazz musicians used that opportunity to perform there mm-hmm. and to... Get their name out. Yeah, exactly. Um, in fact, Duke Ellington, he started in these underground speakeasies playing his music before he, like, even recorded his self at all. He didn't have a chance to get any records out or to like get his name out there until after he was performing on, on these street, these underground street bars. This is perfect for these jazz musicians to Ex- get a chance to go out there. Exactly, because like all, you can't be an African American at the time and be like, well, I want to be a musician now. Sign me up for the next performance at Carnegie. No. You, you, not at all. Not happening back then. Yeah. But in fact, I would argue that they get more people to listen to them at these small underground bars every single night instead of a one-week performance at like exactly. these huge concert and, halls. And the speakeasies, you know, they, they had their troubles, but they put things to the side, you know, because like, hey, we're doing illegal stuff here anyway, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if someone just wants to perform jazz... Let and that them. kind of fits the mood, too. Like I was talking about earlier, with film noir. That's kind of real life. Exactly. Film noir going on right there. Exactly. Like you're a detective from the NYPD going <laughs> down there, and you listen to some jazz saxophonists just ripping, and it just fits that atmosphere. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And this was really the opportunity for African Americans to perform to white audiences, which mm-hmm. was, like, not... Unheard of. Unheard of at the time. But... This, this music was influenced by both Western classical music 
African-American folk music and ragtime. Mm-hmm. All these different styles of music that kind of come together beautifully when we're talking about jazz. That is some great stuff. And jazz kind of revolutionized both the way we perform and the way we listen to music. And a lot of, as you know, you're a jazz musician, a lot of what you play is improvised. Yeah, that is jazz. That, that, is, that is jazz. And, yeah. and jazz kind of took many forms in like chamber and solo and later in the big band scene. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was really, there was really different ways you can combinize jazz orchestration, which made it stand out. Like every different artist you listen to is going to bring something new, something different. In some ways, something better. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, also, um, the popular depiction of African Americans before this time was done by white people. The blackface movement yeah. really kind of demoralized the African Americans. And that's how people saw them up until they were able to perform for themselves in this kind of setting. Yeah. So what do you think if this Harlem Renaissance has influenced the modern world? Since we have Black Lives Matter movement, and we have all these civil rights issues still to this day, some of which I don't think has changed a whole bunch. We've come a long way. Yeah. In some ways, you've taken a few steps backwards and a few issues. Well, this was definitely the platform for African Americans to start getting their voices out. And black activists kind of were influenced by these, the yeah, these jazz musicians. musicians. And obviously there was some, like turns for in different directions like the Black Panther movement in the yeah. 1960s. That was very different, but this kind of influence of them getting their voice out can all be tracked back to this time in history during the Harlem Renaissance. And obviously African Americans influenced rock and roll with jazz Definitely. and influenced modern pop music and pretty much most of our music from this time till through to t- through, oh, sorry, <laughs> through today, is influenced by jazz at this time. Yeah, and there's a lot of incredible African-American jazz musicians who have grown up to fall in love with these other older African-American musicians, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong. Oh, definitely. And has inspired them to, they didn't just inspire me in my white school in Utah. <laughs> In Harriman, Utah. <laughs> yeah, but it went on to influence a whole host of today's generation, today's young kids who sing in school. It inspires them to want to go grow up and be a jazz musician oh, themselves. Definitely, and I'm going to use this example of Broadway musicals, which have been around since the 1800s. And once you reach the Harlem Renaissance, a lot of new musicals coming out after that are starting to have a bit more jazz color in their music. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a huge movement in the 1930s and 40s of just musical after musical that's just pure jazz. And then you have some more rock-based ones later, but that was influenced by jazz. Yeah, of course. So... How would you summarize the Harlem Renaissance? I would say that it was a very 
it was a very focal point, a pivotal point in our history for not only African Americans, but our society in general to build off of and be influenced by. I mean, it's it, the whole movement is very inspiring. It is. I think more people need to study the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah, not just the jazz musicians, no, but which like... Which is cool. Yeah, which but, is cool, but like the literature, the paintings, mm -hmm. just any part of that movement. Yeah, read journals that they've had back then, letters people wrote. Definitely, and definitely. You know, it's, it kind of itches at the historian in me. Yeah, you know, definitely. Where the, I want to go and understand this culture and learn what they're about. Because I know, just even standing back and looking at a general approach, they, if America can take that power that these people have and apply it into everyday life, I mean, we'll be a freaking, we're all, we're a great country. Yeah. Right? No matter what Trump says. Right? <laughs> no matter what. But we'll be even stronger if we could take that energy that these African Americans had, you know, after they, after they were freed from being slaves and they moved on they fought hard. Yeah. You know, they stood up strong and they fought and they wanted to prove to the world that they were strong. And boy, did they prove it. Yeah, you know? definitely. And, and it's, it hasn't ended. They're still strong. Yeah, and there's right? there's differences today that are kind of dividing us. Not to say that we haven't... Social media. Yeah, but we haven't had like... We have had movements like this in recent history, very recent history, but I think us as a union are kind of divided in today's society just based on some differences that we need to learn how to overlook, yeah. which at the time in the Harlem Renaissance, African Americans did overlook their differences to come together for the greater of this good. country, for the greater good of this country. Yeah. And... Yeah, have you ever heard of the show Last Man Standing? I've heard of it. It was with I Tim seen. Allen. It was just recently canceled, but it's a show I really love. And this actor that Tim Allen's playing is this very conservative figure. Mm -hmm. And he, his neighbor's African-American. And at first, when they meet, they're really confrontational. Oh, definitely. And, yeah, just confrontational and just not really neighborly. At first, mm -hmm. but as the series progresses, these characters learn that they have way more similarities than differences, right? Yeah. Like they both like being away from their wives, <laughs> you know? And they both like football. They both like beer. They, they're just very similar. And it's social media, I think, that's really driving a wedge in America. And... We need to sit back and realize, hey, we're the same. We're not different. I mean, I have Hispanic friends that have the same likes and dislikes as some of my African-American friends. It's and your white friends. It's your Asian. Friends, yeah. yeah. And there's, of course, we all have a few differences, but that do make us special. Right? Mm -hmm. These differences, that different things that we've learned, different knowledge, different wisdom that we can share with each other and help each other progress. And if we do that together, we will progress as a nation and become stronger than ever. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, with that being said... <laughs> it's a good place to kind of 
wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. So, I hope you like this podcast. And this Saturday, we're going to... Henry and I are going to be recording a podcast at 2 a.m. on our way to help a marching band. In rural Utah. Rural, very rural Utah. Yeah, this is going to be fun, Henry. We we keep doing it, so. Yeah, we do. We do keep doing it because we love it, and those kids are fantastic, and the staff's fantastic. Shout out. Shout out to you and to marching band. Yeah, heck yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be a fun one because I'll be exhausted. (laughs) <laughs> and Henry will be exhausted because he gets out of work at midnight. And then leaving immediately after to go. Yeah, and I will have a few hours of sleep. <laughs> um, if I sleep at all. Last time I couldn't sleep. And it sucked because we almost ran into a truck on our way home. Yeah, but we we usually come up with some pretty good stuff to talk about. So I'm glad we'll be able to record it into a podcast yeah, this time. Yeah, and it'll probably sound sillier than anything here. But this is controlled. <laughs> yeah, this right? is very we're, controlled. We're filming this at... 8 p.m. So we've been awake all day. If anything, we're a little bit more tired because of being awake. But, you know, we're yeah. awake. We're here. There, it's going to be us exhausted and painful. Yep. So stay tuned and stay tuned. see you next time. Yeah. It's still the city of